Happy holidays, everyone, and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life, the box office flop that became a Christmas classic and one of my favorite films of all time. Before we begin, a quick thank you to our patrons for helping us to keep the show going. If you also want to support these discussions and become part of our private Discord community where you can learn more about upcoming episodes, offer suggestions, and talk about films with us and other patrons, feel free to check out our page at patreon.com slash cinemaofmeaning or follow the link in the show notes. Okay, so it's a wonderful life. Thomas, where did your relation with this movie begin? I'm assuming you've seen it before, right? Yes. Yeah. This was a household classic. You know, I think a lot of houses in America, families probably have a Christmas movie or maybe a couple that are kind of a go-to every year. This was my family's Christmas movie. And so for a number of years, we would watch this maybe every year. I watched this first when I was very young. I don't know how old, but Mm -hmm. so young that I remembered this time distinctly there's that scene where uncle billy is coming out of the house and george takes his hat off and offers it back to him Mm. and he's drunk he's like smashed the first time i saw this i was young enough that i didn't know why he was acting weird i had to be like what you know why is uncle and my parents had to explain to me what being drunk was a magical potion (laughs) (laughs) so That's how early I started watching this movie. And at this point, I've seen it, I don't know how many times. It's possible I've seen this movie more than any other movie ever. I haven't kept track, but watched this one a lot in childhood. And then I've revisited it in adulthood. So it has a very nostalgic place for me. It's a classic. Mm -hmm. It's very well made, but it also is just one of those movies that is forever kind of carved into my brain. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to talking about it. I love this movie. You really love this movie. That We were yeah. just on a Discord we have. We were talking about putting together top 10 lists of films. And this made it onto your, like, top 10 movies yeah. of all time. So Yeah, I'm that was surprisingly to... difficult. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was hard. talking about I have a pretty solid, like, top five and then, like, 30 or 40 movies that could fit in the positions, like, five to ten. But yeah. It's a Wonderful Life is in that top five for me, yeah. I think it's one of the most unique stories ever put to film in the way that it highlights so much about the conflict between the individual and the community. And also, I think it captures a very specific aspect of modernity or that at least yeah. modernity as it began after around like the Second World War which is only, in many ways, only more relevant now. The way we kind of struggle to find meaning and purpose while living within a society that's, on the one hand, kind of pushing us to become more individualistic in the abstract sense that we are more focused on creating individual identities, like we are supposed to be these unique persons who do unique things and have these unique experiences, while also at the same time being limited or still being limited by the constraints of the family that we came from, the environments that we grew up in, the opportunities that we have. I think that kind of friction is portrayed in this film in a way that I don't think I've ever seen done as effectively in any other movie. So yeah, in that sense, it's not just a Christmas classic for me, but it's also just one of the 
greatest movies about. But to me is a very timeless and very universally relatable topic. Because I actually, I didn't see this movie as a child. I only saw it later in my late teens or even my early 20s. Because here it wasn't broadcast on TV with Christmas. Our go-to Christmas movie was Home Alone. That was the one that was always shown on TV. Like part one on uh, the first day of Christmas and then part two on the second. (laughs) So that was kind of the movie that I saw growing up. And some other, like here in the Netherlands, they mostly showed relatively newer movies. Like they would show like 90s or maybe late 80s movies, but they would rarely show anything before like the 70s and especially not from like the 40s and 50s. So yeah, I didn't see it until I actually had to seek it out as I got more interested in film. And obviously this movie pops up. I liked it a lot at first, but I didn't love it right away because it has a kind of strange premise. Because if you explain the premise, I think on IMDb it says like there's this man, George Bailey, he's in trouble. And then eventually there's an angel that comes down to help him, which he does by showing him what his life would have been like if he had never been born. That's kind of the story, right? Yeah, But if you watch it for the first time expecting that, there's a lot of movie that happens before we actually get to the angel right that's really only like the third act if even that i mean it's like the last 20 minutes of the movie really yeah so i was kind of expecting it to be more like the what's the other one with christmas carol i think with the the ghosts of christmas past and and stuff where this would become a more central framing device you know there there Mm -hmm. is in this one also a framing device that kind of narrates the story together but there's not that active presence until the very end so that kind of threw me off on the first viewing but after like the second one and especially the third the fourth i've also seen it like a bunch of times by now it just became better and better I think the critic Roger Ebert described it as like a great piece of music that your enjoyment only grows with it as you become more familiar with it instead of having a story that serves its purpose on the first viewing and then kind of doesn't do anything more on the second or third. And I think this is one of those other movies that really grows with you. And every time you watch it, it's a very rich movie. I think also there's always these little details that you catch or these little nuances that you focus on on each viewing and... It's just a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. What would be the best place to start with this one? Well, I think, like you said, we get a little bit of an opening at the beginning that kind of sets up this premise. We see angels in heaven. We're introduced to this guy, George Bailey, and we understand Mm -hmm. that something bad is happening. He's kind of in trouble. And then the movie just kind of like sets that aside and then just tells the story of his life for really the next like hour, hour and 10 or 15 minutes or whatever it is. And yeah, I think there's a lot of themes that are presented there. You already talked about the relationship between individualism and modernity. There's also just like a really interesting affirmation of life. I think one of the things this movie does very uniquely is be a representation of a quieter heroism. Like it still Mm, allows for sort of a hero's journey and an arc, but without forcing the hero to be the one who is kind of going off and do most of the movies we see are about some of the other characters that are kind of Mm -hmm. at the periphery of George's life, like Sam, you know, the successful businessman or his brother, his brother, who's the war hero. Those are sort of the narrative arcs that we would usually see. Mm -hmm. And instead we kind of just, it's like, here's a guy whose life didn't go the way he wanted. And let's kind of find a way to showcase that as the hero and not like deconstruct this movie isn't really like deconstructing the whole heroic story 
necessarily. It's still like giving that to the viewer, but doing mm -hmm. that in kind of a unique way that I think is interesting. But yeah, it starts with kind of setting up George's life and going through that. So maybe we should just kind of talk through yeah. what's the name of the town? I want to say Potter's Only Hill. in the bad version. <laughs> yes. Bedford Falls? Bedford Falls, yeah. Yes. Let's maybe lay the landscape of Bedford yeah. Falls and the characters and kind of, you know, what's going on. Yeah. So we have Bedford Falls, which is this town. We have George Bailey, whose father runs this housing and loan business together with his brother or so George's uh, uncle. And they are kind of set up as the man of the peoples, so to say. Like we have Potter, who is this greedy, villainous character who just wants to squeeze money out from people and put them in these slums where they pay way too much rent and kind of squeeze them dry. He's only out for his own gain. And on the other hand, we have George Bailey's father, who is trying to offer some quality of life to all the regular folks and the working people and the less fortunate people in Bedford Falls by giving them housing, giving them a comfortable place to live, believing that they're just fulfilling like a basic human need, as he at one point literally says, or a fundamental human urge, I think he describes it, which he in his own way sees as something really important. There's this great discussion that George, when he gets a little bit older, has with his father about George wanting to go out into the world and explore and want to do something big and important. And that's when his father kind of puts him in his place a little bit, that there is value and significance to doing this kind of apparently thankless work. Like it, it doesn't seem to pay off a, a whole lot. It doesn't seem to win him anything. It's really just the sense of personal meaningfulness that he seems to get out of it yeah and of course like he helps the other people but that's not as immediate as a reward as a lot of money would be at least in the perception right. of george or maybe like the reward would be for going on a big journey and seeing all kinds of new things or doing other more traditionally heroic stuff as harry goes on to do his brother yeah it's worth noting too, a point early on is that George saves Harry's life at the beginning. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually the first thing we see. We see a very young George Bailey playing on the ice with his brother and some other friends. And yeah. his little brother falls through the ice and he's saved by George. But this also sets up kind of George's problem that for every seemingly good act he does, he immediately gets punished for it. He doesn't get a reward. He doesn't get like this heroic victory. But instead, in this case, he gets an ear infection, which leaves him deaf in one ear. And that's kind of the pattern that goes on through the movie. Like he there's this scene where he works at this, how do you call that place? Drugstore. Drugstore. Where this old man, forgetting his name for a second. Uh, Gower, Mr. Gower. Mr. Gower. Pharmacist. He yeah. just got a message that his son, his own son had passed from influenza. I think that was around the First World War that maybe his son was fighting in Europe at the time where a lot of young men died from illnesses like that, aside from direct combat. But he's kind of like, grief-strucken and distracted and he accidentally replaces some medicine with poison and George Bailey points it out and then he gets like slapped around for it. It's not appreciated at all. And then there's a lot of those little things later on. He, as he grows older, he wants to go on his big journey, but then his father passes away and so he has to stay home while Harry goes off to college. But when Harry returns, like instead of getting a reward for holding down the fort, he still gets nothing because Harry gets offered a better job. And so George is stuck in his place. And then yeah. there's a run on the bank at some point and he marries Mary, 
and they were about to go on their honeymoon, but with some money they save. But then after the run on the bank, they have to sacrifice that money to keep the building or the business afloat. And again, there's all these little things that keep piling up. Like every time he does the right thing, he gets knocked down even harder. And it reaches a point where he feels like, okay, now I'm at the end of my rope. There's no way left to go. There's this situation where $8,000 goes missing. Bada takes it, but that's not that relevant yeah. anyway it's gone like so he feels like with that money missing he's going to be charged with fraud he's going to be arrested maybe even spend time in jail and that's when Pada points out that he's worth more dead than alive because he has this life insurance policy for fifteen thousand dollars which results in george bailey contemplating suicide right yes. and that's when clarence steps in the angel yeah before we get into clarence's section i think it's worth noting that like a big part of the arc for George is like he constantly wants to get out. He wants to yeah. travel. And I think a big theme throughout this movie is also sort of like the death of dreams of this tension between the life you have around yourself, accepting what you have and this sort of the tension of like being a dreamer, having this kind of mm -hmm. wanderlust from the scenes where he's a kid in the drugstore, we see that you know, he has this one goal, which is like to travel the world in whatever way is possible and just like get out of, he literally says, you know, this crummy town. Mm -hmm. So there's also established pretty much throughout this as he's making these sacrifices constantly to like stay with the building and loan and to like build a life in Bedford Falls. Meanwhile, he has this kind of disdain for the place and is just like mm -hmm. wanting to get out of it. So yeah, I think that tension too is kind of important yeah. as we go into sort of the third act mm -hmm. of setting up this dichotomy. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like that's the part of the movie that's only become more relatable, where now more than ever, like people feel that same desire to go out and explore right. or to do interesting stuff, to see interesting stuff and just escape yeah. the little town and yeah, just go somewhere else, be someone else. But it's interesting because that's where to me, you really see how that concept of the hero's journey has become like incorporated into modernity because there's a lot right. of sociologists and philosophers who have written about this, but the initial concept of the hero's journey was actually like way back as it was interpreted in like olden days, like even in like the ancient times, like myths like that or heroic journeys like that, they were specifically reserved for selected individuals who had like a destiny that was greater than the average person. So as some have argued, like in that time, those stories were appreciated slightly different than we do it now because the heroes, they had like a exemplary function, like they would serve as an example for certain virtues, but they wouldn't necessarily be inspirations for their own personal lives. Like the average peasant in the Roman Empire, for example, wouldn't listen to a story about Hercules or something and think to himself like, oh, that's going to be my life now. And it's only, I think uh, it was some like 20th century sociologists who've talked about this. I think Emil, Emil Durkheim was one of them, was one of the first. Later, there's also the German sociologist Ulrich Beck, who wrote about how we kind of became to entangle the two of them, that slowly but surely, like the heroic journey became something that would be attainable for everyone. And we certainly see that now with like the way advertisements is run. It's not just communicating to you, you're like, oh, you need this product, yeah. go buy it. But it's like, you need to become this heroic person who 
uses this product also. And so it's not even just, that's what Beck argues all the time. It is not just something that stems from our sudden individual desire, like, oh, now we have freedom. Now we can do our heroic stuff and go on these journeys and do all this traveling and whatnot. But it's also a kind of pressure that's increasingly been exerted on us from like society in a way that it wasn't hundreds of years in the past or even a hundred years in the past. And for me, what's so interesting about It's a Wonderful Life is that it's right at the beginning of that kind Period, of era. Yeah. Because yeah. it's something that it's been present for like a few decades, I think, or probably even a bit longer. Like it's hard to pinpoint yeah. exactly when something starts and when it, to what extent it's present in the general society. But it's something that's been specifically accelerated after the Second World War when we went into this period of, at least here in the West, of great prosperity and individual freedom and later on like more explicit individualism wherein you also had things like civil rights uh, civil movements rights, yeah. and like feminist movements you know there was a necessity to it or a great benefit for people being able to break free from like traditional roles that kept them trapped in a place but as a certain side effect there was also this kind of movement of individualism that became ever more prevalent and that slowly built into this pressure for everyone to now not only be free but also to use that freedom to become someone unique to become literally an individual who writes their own right. story so yeah. that in that sense we've all kind of been forced to some extent more than ever like more than before or more than at the time it's a wonderful life actually came out to be like george bailey or to have like the same desires yeah i would just say i think like civil rights movement towards individualism have happened together. I don't know that the pressure of individualism necessarily comes out of the freedom you're talking about from civil no, rights. No, not necessarily. It's also a big part is just the neoliberal economy that right, also right. rose significantly after the Second World War, yeah. which also put that same pressure, not necessarily pressure, but it started with opportunity and then it later it became a yes, sort of pressure yeah. in the same way that the internet opened a lot of things up digitally yeah. but that also came with its own pressure as we realized later so you're yeah. always kind of talking about unintended side effects to certain movements regardless of whether those movements in themselves were positive or negative or whatever right neutral i'm just saying i don't think individualism is necessarily a side effect of those movements i think if anything mm. They are part of a broader movement that goes together. But you also already mentioned some like advertising. And I think like the way that's developed is a big part of creating this like cultural narrative towards the individual and just part of like the American trajectory as a whole. Yeah. So those things play a role. Like all of those movements are bound up together in sort of this narrative of freedom that has grown in America in a lot of ways and like been central to sort of American culture and that freedom is associated to individualism. But I just think that like that's a bigger movement than I would say just like a side effect of certain other oh, things. Oh yeah, definitely. I was just naming it as a few okay, okay. significant right, right. influences within that right. movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But to that point, I think this movie comes in 1946. So it feels almost kind of prescient to be mm -hmm. like, <laughs> before a lot of that happens, mm -hmm. before there's this trend that's being reinforced by this like heroic narrative that's seeping into every part of Western culture and society, you have this story that's in a way feels very like 
essentially it's kind of like, hey, the good life or like value in life is much more centered around this sort of selfless participation in a society as a whole in doing what's best for others and those around you and ultimately like appreciating what you have, the society and culture, the people around you, the things you do have and kind of highlighting the value in that and this reciprocal nature of that. That's not a narrative that's easy to infuse into a film and still like make a good, interesting movie. And I think that's part of why the hero's journey and these things and individualism are kind of all caught up together in this because we've so much built our sense of like story and what's even engaging and interesting to watch and what we're entertained by around the literal maverick of like, I'm going to go fast. I'm going to like, I'm the one (laughs) who is the war hero. So this movie narratively is a beautiful piece of ingenuity to carve out an entertaining Mm -hmm. and engaging film in spite of that. But I wonder if too, you mentioned at the beginning that this was a box office flop. I wonder if that is a part of this film's kind of like longevity and the fact that it's Mm -hmm. become this enduring classic is that it was maybe putting its finger on something that was beginning in the 40s but it's like now feels like oh that was a huge part of the narrative or like only became more significant yeah maybe i think it was also because it felt a little bit too cheesy or too sentimental right after the second world war like the culture just wasn't there yet but yeah maybe i think i've made a long video called Life is not a heroic journey. I think, <laughs> I don't even remember what I called it. <laughs> Anyways, there's like a, I did a short bit there about the history of the heroic adventure and how exactly our relation to it changed over time, which was actually quite revealing to me because it was only until like around the colonial era that from a Western perspective that heroic stories became more about everyday individuals instead of these larger than life heroes because now the heroes were those who went out into sea that they went out to explore and those were more relatable than let's say a hercules or something that was too large than life <laughs> larger than yeah, life, yeah too big to imagine oneself in over history you have this very slow transition towards heroic stories becoming more about ordinary individuals and what they are capable of and the kind of extraordinary situations they can find themselves in. And so it makes sense that even in the 40s, there were individuals who felt like that wanderlust or who were inspired by that. But there was also, I think still at the time, more of a general sense that people would just like, I'm going to do the job that my dad did and I'm going to live in the town or I'm going to live and work and die in the town that I was also born in. And I think it was, yeah, maybe part of why the movie became more popular is because like between the movie's release and now like a lot of things have changed culturally where now more and more people feel like George Bailey. They feel like right. I want to do something big. I want to do something important. I have to get out of this small town that I was born in. I have to escape from the shackles and get rich with crypto or whatever, you know? There's a strong movement to yeah. kind of escape exactly what George Bailey learns right. to value in It's a Wonderful Life. And I think in that yeah. sense, to me, it's one of the most important movies now, I would almost say, to give people this kind of reality check and maybe 
humble them a bit back down to see the value of community and even for myself like i identify greatly with george bailey which is why this movie maybe felt like such a gut punch to me in some ways and i think one thing that also maybe have helped the movie a lot is because i'm not sure how it was perceived back in the 40s but like now it feels very old-fashioned and traditional and it feels like some lost relic of a past that we no longer have or something that we've lost and there's a certain artificiality to it like the way the set design it all feels very constructed and there's like these math paintings that are pretty obvious in the background to me that only works to the movie's favor like it feels almost like it exists in like the realm of fairy tales where it's right it's almost an otherworldly story as most christmas stories are but in that sense it doesn't feel like a genuine reflection of society but more like a mythological reflection of it and to do both that while also having that very grounded and humane message that to me is a very interesting and special combination that i think also is a big part of why this movie in particular is still so relevant today and still so popular Yeah, I mean, I definitely have identified kind of with George Bailey in this story over the course of, you know, certain periods of my life where, you know, I wanted to, in a lot of ways, like the internet was kind of the escape hatch that I saw. And to a certain degree, like, Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly George in that I kind of got to go travel the world a little bit in the sense, like, I don't live in the town I grew up in. There's a sense in which I had some of the George Bailey style dreams and have gotten to kind of like follow that thread a little bit. But I think what's interesting about getting to do that to some degree is at the end of the day, once you've sort of like followed that thread a little while, like part of the ongoing lesson of life, I think is like learning to come back into what is around you and an appreciation of Mm -hmm. that. And the things like your community, friends and family are ultimately what's going to matter even if you get to go and do those other things there's a lot of depth there i think in how it examines those things you said something about there being a lot of depth and richness here and i was curious what some of the more maybe like recent layers are that have Mm. unfolded for you if there's anything you've noticed Mm -hmm. new recently yeah i think just also to respond to your point which can kind of lead into that i think one thing i really like about this movie as well is because like you i've also had like the george bailey dreams to go to college and travel and do something that i feel is big and important and in many ways i got to do all that so in that sense i'm not george bailey like i don't relate to his struggle literally like i'm not someone who was trapped in my hometown and trapped by the path that was kind of set up for me by my family or by my family's endeavors but I think the reason for why it still feels relatable to me is that it's the movie is in the end it's not a condemnation of having dreams it doesn't say like forget about your dreams about going to college just stay home do the business that your daddy had and just become like this faceless individual in your no-name community you know it's not an argument against that it's as you said i think it's more about focusing on what truly matters in the end at the end of the day, like regardless of whether or not you follow your dreams or where you end up in life, I think it does say something important about the pitfalls that you can run into when 
you plan out your entire life because that's something that George also did. Like from a young age, he didn't just want to explore. Like he says, like, I know exactly where I'm going to be at what age. I know exactly what I'm going to do. And he's in that sense, completely unprepared for the reality of life, which shows you that you do not exist in a vacuum. There's always going to be limitations. There's always going to be forces pulling you in certain directions that you have no control over or that you maybe should not have control over because that's i think the argument that is also about coming to value the attachments that you already have in the world regardless of what direction they push you in but for me i think one of the most important revelations that i don't see as people talk about as much is that when we get to the end when we get to see what Bedford Falls would be like without George. Because I think the direct message there is like, oh, without George, a lot of things would have been much worse. Like the town would be worse off, like his wife would not be married, which to me, that's the only like truly false note in the movie. Like I I feel like that's a bit of a (laughs) unnecessary slight towards her character. Because she is like a Mary, she comes across as this really fun and ambitious young woman and she clearly shows drive in doing all kinds of stuff, like whether it's renovating their new house or helping out during the war effort by organizing these drives. And it just doesn't feel like without George, she would be no person at all. She would just be this lonely spinster working at the library. But yeah. So that aside, you know, no movie is truly perfect. Um, For me, I think the obvious reading of the ending is that it really shows how Bedford Falls, what it would be like without George. It's really focused on his actions on the community and his kindness towards the community. What value that has in his perception and what value it has objectively, as is demonstrated by Clarence. But one of the things that I feel is often overlooked is that when you assume that perspective, when you really focus on the kindness that someone brings into a community it also reveals how much kindness the community brings to him and how much good it has done to him we said at the beginning like for every good act he seems to be punished but when you really take that closer look with that new perspective you also see like for example in the beginning when george sets out for his journey like he gets a free suitcase by his old boss mr gower yeah. like and when he doesn't go on his honeymoon because he's helping the people you know there's you have bert and ernie and some of the other characters they're working like in the rain and in the cold and to organize something you know to do something in return for him and then obviously like all the way at the you know the big ending like when george is at the end of his rope then the entire community yeah. like they literally pray it's literally the prayers of the community, like them expressing their kindness and willingness to help George that even gets the attention of the angels that ultimately save him. And also more literally, they come up with all this money to help him out of his troubles. Yeah. So that for me was like the most profound aspect maybe even of this movie that it just shows you that as Frank Capra once said, like there is good in the world and it's wonderful you know there is kindness and solidarity and altruism if you're just willing to see it almost yeah this episode of cinema of meaning is sponsored by mubi mubi is an online hand curated streaming service with exceptional films from all around the world they have art house films classic films international movies a bunch of great stuff you can catch up on some of the best films from 2022 on mubi including one of my personal favorite park chan wook's south korean film decision to leave this is a great very stylish tightly wound neo-noir that I definitely recommend checking out. And you can do that with an extended 30-day free trial of Mubi by clicking the link in the description below or going to mubi.com slash cinema of meaning. 
That's M-U-B-I dot com slash cinema of meaning to check out your extended 30-day free trial of Mubi and start exploring exceptional cinema today. I think the thing that hit me this time was especially in Jimmy Stewart's performance towards the end, the affirmation of life and existence that comes through in this after he's gone through this Mm -hmm. experience, you know, Clarence comes and takes George on the tour of Pottersville, what this place would look like without him. He's underestimated the impact that his life has had on all these people in all these little different ways. All these sacrifices that he made have paid off in ways that he's not really accounting for so he sees that and he's horrified by it and horrified by not just the impact that his life had or he's not horrified by that but he's not just affected Mm -hmm. by the impact that his life had but the experience of feeling like i didn't exist it's like a near-death kind of experience almost and then he comes Mm -hmm. back into it realizing he's existing and suddenly everything has this new profound sense of life where he's excited just by the fact that his lip is busted again because that's a sign of like (laughs) living and he suddenly loves everything about the world around him and there's really like a experience and sense of wonder that comes across Mm -hmm. in the performance that I think is really beautiful and that culminates here where it manages to convey this sense of like we can so often kind of fall into this trap where so much of the life that exists around us we have started to take for granted And there's a sense in which sometimes it it takes a certain experience or somebody saying something or some people have literal near-death experiences, whatever it is. But sometimes like looking at our world with fresh eyes Mm -hmm. and just appreciating the value of getting to be here, experiencing the things that we're experiencing and with the people that we're with and sort of the beauty of that is something that like this movie conveys so well Hmm. that I really Yeah, definitely. And I also really like that it's a kind of sentimental movie, kind of cheesy, especially towards the end. You know, everyone goes in and they pitch in a little bit of money and even the debt collector and like the one who's (laughs) just holding his arrest warrant, they kind of pitch in and (laughs) they start singing and everything comes together beautifully. But it feels like this very climactic ending. But at the same time, when you think about it, like for longer than two seconds, you also realize like oh wait there's not actually that much that has changed for george like it's not unlike a heroic journey or a more traditional heroic journey it doesn't have a definitive ending where the world is significantly changed in a material sense because yeah you know this was just again one battle against mr potter for the fate of Bedford falls one that he hit some kind of obstacle he tried to do the right thing he was in his perception punished for it but really he was again like sort of saved by the community and so that battle that it's a battle that's won but the war is still going on and it will be going on and that's for me also what makes this movie so great is that it doesn't make light of any of these issues it shows it emphasizes that it's about an attitude shift that's why you can like exert your power or have like a lot of agency whereas you know if the movie had ended with mr potter going bankrupt through some kind of miracle or you know, some other more definitive change. Like to me, that's would have made the movie less impactful because now it still feels like it's not about one event. It's about every day because, you know, after this movie, George goes on to the next day and the next day and the next day and there will be new obstacles, new challenges, but he goes on with a different perspective. And that's something that we can apply to ourselves all day, any day, basically. Yeah. And that's also something that really struck me when watching it recently. And also one other thing is that despite, like, I always remember it as the movie kind of feeling 
a little bit hokey and like kind of silly almost in a way that also James Stewart plays it and his character is kind of this jokey, silly character that's goes into the shop and he's like, I wish for a million dollars or hot dogs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what it means, but it just, you know, it's one of those little silly things. One thing that also really resonated with me is that his character, he's actually not afraid to become quite unlikable as he grows more stressed out about his situation. Like he really becomes a jerk to his wife and his children. And yeah. you really see that it's not just him struggling a little bit. He's like really feeling those effects of stress which to me also makes it a lot more real, even though, as we talked about, like the whole vibe of it feels kind of fairy tale ish Yeah, But yeah. It, it somehow it feels emotionally grounded. I think that's a good way to put it. It doesn't yeah. feel cheap or silly when it comes to like the real important stuff and the more serious conflicts that are going on. Yeah, I think, first I want to say to a point you made earlier, I think mm -hmm. it's significant that this movie doesn't end with a scene where he's like on a boat waving and like, mm -hmm. oh, he gets to go off and, you know, finally do his travels or whatever. I think it is very significant that it kind of ends with this continuation of, yeah, you mm -hmm. know, the community rallied together to basically replace the money that Potter has stolen essentially and go a little bit above and beyond but that doesn't like you said materially change george's situation the real shift is like he's seeing now the value in the life that he has already lived and sort of appreciating that for what it is and appreciating what he mm -hmm. has to your other point about sort of him becoming unlikable i like that as well because i think there is a little bit of this thread through the film too where george is making these sort of sacrificial decisions at various points mm -hmm. along the way i think it's significant that you know when he's like getting out to run back to the building and loan mary's like no don't just let it go like we'll go on our honeymoon his dad earlier on before he dies is like yeah you go to college you do your thing you don't have to stay with the building and loan like it's not other people around george that are kind of like trapping him in this place that he doesn't want to be he's making mm -hmm. these decisions he could have chosen to leave his brother is like hey you know i didn't accept the job yet you've been here for a while everybody gives him the out and he never takes that i think the movie's kind of arguing that he does the right thing in each of those places but there is also this representation of like he kind of lets that push it a little bit too far and there's a moment where he kind of still tries to take it on himself where like even uncle billy is like it's his mistake and george is like no no i'm gonna take the blame basically and this pushes him to like a breaking point mm -hmm. where then he blows up at his family and he's considering killing himself and fortunately his wife kind of rallies the community on his behalf but there's a moment before that where i think there's a sense of he should have just asked for help or like expressed this sense of like i can't do this all on my mm -hmm. own i can't take this all on myself and so i think that like shift in his character is an important part of kind of not overly valorizing him either like he makes all these little sacrifices along the way but the big transformation at the end almost comes more out of a personal failure yeah then it does like, oh, he like really makes the decision to save the day. It's the other people that save the day because he's made little decisions in the past, but no one person can be this like, I'm going to save the whole town kind of figure. And if you try to take too much of that on, it'll mm. end up breaking. Yeah, I agree. I think also maybe to add to that, even like 
add like an extra layer to it. It also kind of exemplifies the whole philosophy behind the building and loan as proposed by his father. There's the argument that's made that people are just generally happier and better individuals when they have some basic comfort in their lives. And father takes that away by kind of putting them in these slums and exploiting them and giving them all kinds of money troubles. And we see also through George, like when his stress, like his basic needs are threatened, like when his business is about to fail, when he's about to lose everything, you know, how easily we also lose our almost, I would say, our sense of humanity. It might be a bit extreme, but, you know, there's a part of ourselves that we lost the moment we no longer have, like, these basic securities in our lives. And when all, like, our basic comforts are replaced with stress factors, basically. So, yeah, in that sense, it also, through George, we also see the importance of the work he does by offering everyone else a relief from experiencing the kind of stress that he's experiencing in those moments because he is offering people like comfortable homes at a reasonable price which alleviates them of having to stress out about the kind of stuff that george is now worried about or now struggling with yeah Yeah. i think that's something that really adds to the overall philosophy that's presented by george bailey and bro's company yeah yeah in a sense he's kind of at the end being sort of repaid for the loan that he's been offering to the community throughout the film. It's a Mm. reversal and a reflection of that kind of offering that they're giving through the building and loan. I love how he is driven by his dreams. George is driven by his dreams. But even more than that, he's driven by sticking it to Mr. Potter because there's, (laughs) there's so many times where like he's about to sort of like make a certain move. And then he's like, no, <laughs> I can't let Mr. Potter win. I like yeah. the rebel streak that exists in his in his character. It's kind of a Sith Lord uh, origin story almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, the, let the hate drive you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't really think that's his main motivator, but it yeah. definitely gets him in a few <laughs> spots, which is fair because Mr. Potter is, he's almost like a Sith Lord sort of evil Palpatine-esque kind mm-hmm. of character that yeah. comes around just to like suck the life out of everything for profit. Yeah, that's one thing that does interest me in the Potterville nightmarish sequences that you also see that it doesn't just make the town worse, it also makes all the people worse. Like, no one is as kind as they were in the real world with a George Bailey around. And the one guy is like, oh, my terrible house, wife left me three years ago. All of them, you see them being affected by these stress factors that eventually bring them down to a point where it just debases them as human beings almost. Again, I guess that's retreading like my last point where it just shows the importance of when you help each other, when you elevate each other, even just a little bit in the basic comforts of human existence, there's so much that you get for it in return, even though you might not immediately have a sense of it, just in by keeping alive that kind of basic humanity that allows people to help each other and be there for each other in times of need that already is such an important quality to foster within a community or even you know within a country or uh, yeah. whatever it's maybe the greatest pro affordable housing movie ever <laughs> <laughs> no i'm kidding <laughs> honestly i'd um, say i'd say it is it, it might be though <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, where it feels a little fairy tale ish, it tiptoes into the fairy tale element is 
you know, with the things you've talked about already and kind of almost it's like corniness, which at this point, I think, you know, maybe it's the nostalgia or how many times I've seen it, but it all mm. just kind of plays into the charm of the movie as a whole. But there's also like, you know, it's a fairy tale in the sense that even if you dedicate your life to small sacrifices and doing what you can in the place that you are, you're not going to get a moment in your life where you get to see you know, the impact of what all that would look like. And even if you did, it probably wouldn't be like everybody in town is sad and destitute without mm, you. Yeah. Probably not. But I think the overall message that's here or just the philosophy that's presented of affirming the value of the small unseen ways in which our lives touch other people and how that is often perhaps bigger than the it's not just down to the people who get recognition. Like, it's not just down mm. to the war hero. It's yeah. down to the person who saved that war hero's life so that they were even there in the first place. And there's so many small things like that that we never mm -hmm. acknowledge or think about or th that don't get seen. And finding value in that and finding value in just, like, what you have in existence and sort of the beauty of life and genuine connection within a community and within family and friends. Great movie. Great notes to hit on for the mm. Christmas holiday holiday spirit. Yeah, I think also just to add to your last point about that we generally don't have such a moment of sudden awareness about all the good things that we do in those little everyday interactions. I think that's precisely why a movie like this is so important. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the video I did on The Lord of the Rings, I ended with a quote on the importance of mythology, which detailed exactly like the whole problem with our lives is that we are kind of bound to our own perspective and we never have that overview that allows us to see our lives wholly. And that's kind of what myth or the fairy tale does for us. It kind of fulfills that function by giving us in symbol, like a kind of life that we can see in its totality, almost like the angels who look down on George's life and then see yeah. what is important and then bring that back into our own lives and then have that movie almost function as the revelation that we miss in our actual lives. That's to me what makes this movie one of the all-time greatest, not just a great Christmas movie, but also I'd say it's just one of the most important movies ever made. And I think if there's one movie I could show people that I think would help them to value their own life and give them a sense of priority and just overall guidance in our modern world it might just be this one thank you all for listening if you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going be sure to check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash cinema of meaning alternatively you can follow us on our creator-owned streaming service nebula cinema of meaning is a nebula original show meaning that here you can experience our podcast ad free listen to all of our episodes a week early and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes this month that's going to be james cameron's avatar 2 the way of water but before that we've also covered the new all quiet on the western front upstream color alien covenant drive and many others so you're really getting a whole new catalog of episodes right now the best way to get access to nebula is by signing up for curiosity stream which comes with a free nebula subscription to learn more visit curiositystream.com cinema of meaning or just follow the link in the show notes and we'll see you again next time <laughs>